The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, it is so good to have you back on our program, Afternoons with Mike, heard here on The Shepherd. When I first moved back to Orlando back in 2019 and was privileged to join this staff, one of the people that I got to meet with right up front, in fact, it would be within one of the first weeks of my being here, was Pastor David Swanson, Dr. David Swanson from First Pres. And uh, not only did he meet with me and Dave Cobb, but he actually took us to lunch and we just had what I considered to be one of the most not only delightful, but important meetings because David left me not only with an incredible time, he also left me with a list of people that he felt like I really needed to talk to. And that brother, that turned out to be a formative list mm. for me of relationships, not just interviews, right. but but uh, ongoing relationships. And you introduced me not only to those people, but in a real way back to Orlando. I feel indebted to you. And I mean that. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. I, I remember that so vividly. And I remember you, you know, you reminded me of myself when I came here in 2004 and you kind of feel like you've been shot out of a cannon and you're trying to figure out <laughs> which end is up. You know, I, I, uh, the look on your face, you were like, okay, where am I again? And, um, <laughs> And I will say someone did that for me, and uh, I'll bring up a, a name from Orlando's past. You know, I'd been here maybe 10 minutes, and I got a phone call from from Jim Henry, who was the pastor at First what Baptist at the time. Uh. And he called, and he said, David, he goes, I want to take you to lunch and uh, introduce you to people I know in the city and help you kind of get up to speed, and I'll I'll never forget that. And I thought from that point forward, whenever there was some you know somebody that I knew was new in town, I always try to take them to lunch and help them meet people and uh and so I, all, all I was doing was passing that along. So. Well, I did not know the background or the backstory yeah. to all of that, but it was indeed. And I, I, it's so great that I'm able to hear today mm. to tell you that and to mm. say thank you well, for thank it. thank you. Yeah. Because that really does mean a lot. And it, it really affects not only the moment, but it affects the future. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I like. And, and, you know, every time I've ever had you up on the program, I remember one Easter uh, we spent together and we talked about yeah. the, the whole Easter story and the resurrection and the, the season that that is, the importance that that is. Uh, every time I've had you up here, my friend, you you just, in my mind, knock it out of the park. Well, thank you. And I'm most excited about today because mm. of the stuff that's going on in our country today, which is why I reached back out and said, I, it, it's time for my friend, to come back up here yeah, and, and get this pastoral <laughs> advice from a guy, again, that I consider to be a father in, in the city. And, mm-hmm. and I thank you for the way that you step up. I mean, even you use, you're one of the best users of social media that I know of. Mm. And the way you use it, the way you use it to challenge, mm. and I think to evangelize, mm-hmm. and I think to disciple. Mm. I, I I don't know anybody that's doing it better than what you're doing it. So well, you're, you. you're a great model. So in this first segment, the last time you were here, you brought an incredible report about how God was moving in your heart 
uh, about about giving, and you kind of just became an open book to your own congregation, mm. and truly amazing, shocking giving happened as a result of that. Right. And I wondered if you could, first of all, give us a recap of what that yeah, was. I'll refresh your memory a little bit. We, uh, we'd been going through a season, and I think the Lord was, was convicting me. I just became aware of, not just in our church, but in the church nationwide, Obviously, generosity enables ministry. You know, if we don't have resources, then we're not going to go very far, and and uh, we see that all all throughout Scripture. But I I just knew that there were you know the 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 data tells us that about thirty one to thirty two percent of someone who would be quote unquote a member of a church or someone who's involved, only thirty one percent of those people give anything in the life of the church. So you've got in a, in our church, we're a little better than that. We're about forty percent. Um, but that means you have 60% who aren't giving yeah, anything. Right. And so how can you, you know, and I'm, I don't want to uh, throw shade at them and make them feel guilty, but I do want to try to challenge them and encourage them to grow in generosity. Because I think if you're missing the blessing of generosity, you're missing part of the fruitfulness and the joy of what it means to live in Christ. And yeah. so I preached a sermon and I was just saying, you know, there's this group of women in India. They live in, a, in the northwest part of the country called Mizoram. And every day they're making dinner, they set aside one cup of rice. Yeah. And then they take that rice, collect it with all the other women. They take it to the church, and the church would sell it to fund their mission and ministry. So I said, I showed this little video, told the story about those women. I said, hey, I think, you know, for those of you who aren't giving anything, why don't you just take a dollar a day, put it in a jar. And if you brought the church $30 at the end of the month, that that would be, if, if everybody did that, be a game changer. Well, I, I don't have time to go into all of it, but that one little story turned into $1.8 million over three weeks. <laughs> just man. And it became the cup of rice fund. And I, I didn't give it a name. I didn't ask for an offering. It just started coming in. And so it was truly, Mike, it was a miracle beyond anything I've ever seen. Then I'm on the phone with a, a dear pastor friend who was in Poland, who was, you know, the Russia invaded Ukraine just weeks after that. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm just on the phone with him. He's so discouraged and he's got all these refugees he's taken care of. And I said, I said, Anjay, what, what do you need? And he said, David, what I really need is rice. And, you know, that's when we, we our elders had been praying, Lord, why did you give us this money? Like we, we, we don't know, but we're going to be on our knees about it. Two weeks later, there was our answer, you know, yeah. the cup of rice. Just like guy, that. Yeah. Just like that. So we immediately sent him, you know, about half of that fund. And then over time, we probably sent uh, to Poland and worked with refugees. And we, I mean, we bought eight passenger vans because you can't take 18 wheelers in there. They're targets for, uh, for uh, air um, assault. So you have to take small vehicles and you're getting around rutted, bombed out roads. And you're going into communities that the Red Cross and Samaritan's Purse are not willing to send their people. And it's so dangerous. Yes, too dangerous. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've got some pretty... Uh, bone chilling videos of these vans and gunfire and houses bombed out. And it's, uh, it's pretty unbelievable. But anyway, we, we funded probably a million dollars worth of relief in that. And then the balance of that, which was about eight or $900,000 we took and we, uh, we divided amongst a number of nonprofits who were dealing with human need in and around the central Florida area. So we looked at hunger, we looked at homelessness, we looked at human trafficking, and uh, and we decided that part of that fund was going to go to help meet uh, local needs. And then the you know the other miracle that was part of that generosity begets generosity. 
when you when you develop a generous heart, you you learn the joy of it, and you want to you want to keep going, and people want to participate in what God was doing. So not only did that 1.8 million come in unexpectedly, we we oversubscribed our budget by six hundred thousand dollars. So at the end of the year, we had to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, Lord, you know what do we do with this? And so again, we sent more money to Ukraine relief. We so you look, ended up with six hundred thousand more. Yeah. So we gave away two point four in unanticipated mission giving that year. You know, I, it's uh, the story of God blessing this this whole thing of a heart that is open hmm. to Him. And you, you, I love the way you said this. You really weren't even trying to raise money. No, in that and, and I want to be totally clear. Uh, you know, I my associate was asked about. God, what happened? You know, David was preaching that sermon, and and my associate said, "Well, it was a good sermon, but what? It wasn't one point eight million dollars good." <laughs> I said, "Boy, is that true? It wasn't anywhere near that good." So I, I did nothing. I mean, I really did nothing. And I've had other pastors ask me, "What'd you do? How'd you do that?" I, yeah, I, that was a complete work of the Holy Spirit, and I just tried to take my hands off the wheel and go, "All right, Lord, what? I want to be faithful in what you want me to do with it." And yeah. so. You That's do think that it's as simple as this, David, that uh, the reason maybe this is not being seen in a lot of other churches is that pastors are just forgetting the the dynamic role of the Holy Spirit mm. in these moments mm-hmm. and, and surrounding these needs. Do you think it's as simple as maybe not thinking heavenly enough? Is that possible? I th- you know, I think that's part of it. I, I think there's also a, a reticence to talk about generosity. I think there, there's some pastors who fear that if I talk about money, that people will be turned off. And if I talk about giving and what that can do in the life of the church, that maybe attendance is going to go down. Maybe that's going to make people stop giving. So they just don't, they just don't talk about giving. There just aren't messages uh, in the in the course of their preaching. Yeah. And I just yeah. have learned that, um, you know, we worship a God who has lavished Himself on us. He He is abundant in His generosity towards us. Therefore, if we're made in His image, we've been made to be a generous, self-giving people. Mm-hmm. And if we're not experiencing that, not just with money, but but it is money. And that's where I'll, I will hear people say, oh, well, I, I give a lot of time and, and talent, but so I don't really have to give a lot of money. And that's, that, I'm sorry, Scripture doesn't give you that out. Yeah, right. It's not give two out of three. Um, yeah. Money is our the, the last bastion of our control. Right. And we'll talk about, some, you know, I'll talk about my, diagnosis of this disease. I'll talk about my marital challenge. I'll talk about what's wrong with my children, but I'm not going to talk about money because mm-hmm. that I, I feel like I've earned it and I'm going to control that. And when God calls us, he becomes Lord of everything in our life. Right. And that includes our money and he calls us to obedience. And so I think when, when we put that out there, I think people are going to finally experience freedom in their finances instead of the stress and the burden that finances can become. Now, the Bible talks about without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. And I've found in my own life that even though I believe in God and I, I, I want to be faithful to God, I think that there is a measure that we all have to admit that m- there might be some faithlessness mm-hmm. 
in our hearts at times when it comes to money because mm-hmm. it it's uh it, it can be a bigger thing than it should be but uh it can certainly be a bigger thing in our own hearts than we realize it is the love of wanting to hang on to that money mm-hmm. as opposed to being generous and giving it away yeah do we really believe that god is sufficient to provide our daily bread yeah uh you know and we is he really going to provide and we all believe our, you know, our real source of security is our 401k. You know, it's our, it's our, you know, stock portfolio. And as long as that's okay, I'm a, you know, and that's just trying to, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be shrewd and wise financial managers. Absolutely. We need to, but at the same time, we need to be generous in what God entrusts us. So what is the aftermath at Faith Prez since that, uh, the cup of rice thing? Yeah, yeah. What's happened since then? So since then, it's been, it's been interesting because, you know, you go from seasons of great abundance uh, to seasons of challenge. And so what's happened uh, in the last 18 months, we've seen a lot of uh, national and international headwinds in terms of what continues to happen in the war in Ukraine. There continues to be need there, but we've got all this inflation our money's not worth as much as it was. And so people's investments are down in value. And so we've seen a, a decrease in overall generosity. And I don't think that's a, you know, as I look at it, I think that's more of a, a practical reality. People just have less disposable income than they did over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? It means we need to begin to understand what sacrificial giving looks like and that we are, we, you do give to the point of sacrifice. And, um, and so we've been we've been teaching that uh, on that a little bit, but also trying to recognize that this is a point of pain for people, mm-hmm. and uh, they have less than they used to. And so, how are we ministering to them in the midst of that? And so that's kind of where we've been. It's you know we had a, a season of great abundance, and now we're in a season where. And please hear me when I say this: this doesn't mean that we're you know in a in a season of drought by any stretch. We are you know we met our budget last year, and we're on track to meet it this year, and so. But we're not seeing the the abundance, the abundance that we did yeah. before, and yeah. so and that's fine. You know, the Lord continues to bless and lead, but we continue to talk about it, and I mm-hmm. continue to remind people, you know, this matters, and it's by your generosity that you're enabling the ministry of the church to flourish. Mm-hmm. And without you, that can go nowhere. There was a phrase that I heard back in the early '80s, and it really it really was a meaningful phrase to me. It said, "Not equal gifts." but equal sacrifice. Mm. And a lot of people think that because of the fact that they don't have a multi-million dollar uh, hedge fund uh, to, to pull from, to give, that they can't do But the idea that whatever level of sacrifice that is, or let's say percentage mm. of our sacrifice that is, that can be equal from a person of great means to a person who of very little means. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you have someone who's a a multimillionaire and, and they give a hundred thousand dollars in yeah. the course of a year, you go, did that affect their lifestyle in any way at all? And the answer is no, it didn't. Yeah. But the widow's might, you know, she gave her last two coins and it was the quality of the sacrifice. That is what, you know, the Lord said made that such a significant gift. Yeah. So I think that is a, a question for us to consider yeah. in our own spiritual hearts. Yeah, gave out of her heart, gave out of her real need, mm, mm. and really gave out of what was her own provision. Yeah, what and you was... think about the, the Macedonian church, out of their extreme poverty, yeah. it welled up in rich generosity. You yeah. know, that's in Second Corinthians. So I think that's what God's calling us to be about. 
Well, in our remaining time in in this uh, moment, I would like for you to share about what you've seen in this day. We've all been affected by churches mm. were greatly impacted by the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. We've been post that now, although there are little glimpses in some pockets where they're trying to bring this back, I believe. But mm-hmm. what are you seeing happen in our area with regards to uh, congregations coming back to fellowship as opposed to staying home and watching things on TV? You know, I think it's improving. Um, I think there was a time when I, most every pastor I talked to coming out of COVID, I would say even uh, to, until a year after, you know, I would say it into 21 into 22, most every pastor would, would say their attendance was off, in-person attendance was off by about 30%. And every one of those same pastors would say, but their online uh, viewership is significantly increased. And that's exactly what happened in the life of our church. So I did, in the early part of 2022, I did an eight-week series on why uh, worship matters. And part of that was that we are an embodied church mm-hmm. that God calls us um, you know, he, in his word, it says, let us never, uh, give up on meeting how to together. together. Yeah. And so you can stand back and say, is it, is there benefit in someone worshiping with you online? A hundred percent. And I, you know, we had a blessing in our church this last Sunday, found a, a man in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, uh, who was coming to the end of his life. And he's been unbeknownst to me, uh, taking part in worship at First Pres online every week for about twenty years. Wow! And and he he was coming to the end of his life, and his his daughter you know reached out to me and said, "Would you would you call my dad?" So that's enabled by technology, by yeah. online yeah. worship, and I love that. But at the same time, what I've tried to help our congregation understand is that God became an embodied, incarnated, physical manifestation of Himself, an incarnated God in. Christ, the church is an embodied physical thing, and he calls us to physically meet together. And when we meet together, things happen. Things happen in a way the Spirit comes to be with us, the Spirit inhabits our praise, where two or three gather, we know all those verses. And so I have seen a gradual uptick. I think we're probably off in our attendance now about 15%. And and I, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and I and I, there was this one couple in our church before COVID, completely faithful there almost every Sunday, hadn't seen them since COVID. And mm-hmm. I had, I saw them at a funeral for someone in another church that was a friend of theirs. And I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to see you. You know, is, is everything okay? You know, we, we don't really already see anymore. And um, and they said, gosh, you know, we, we worship with you every Sunday. But honestly, we, we've just gotten comfortable staying at home. Yeah, I think a lot of people have. And and it it's and I, I I love that they were able to be honest about that, but that is still I will tell you that is still a thing, and people did they created a you know a, a bad habit they got out of the routine, mm-hmm. but when they come back and you know and almost every week certainly every month I have people who will say to me, I'm back. Well, let's hold that. Yep, let's yep. pick that back up on the other end of this break. This is afternoons with Mike with my guest today, Dr. David Swanson. I'll be right back. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. 
Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Pastor David Swanson is my guest today on the program, and he's from First Presbyterian Church in downtown Orlando, a gorgeous building. If you've never been there, you should go and witness uh, just this congregation. Might be surprised to find out how exuberant this, this place is and the faith level. Man, I'm telling you, I love getting to talk to a guy in this day and age, a, a Presbyterian pastor as yourself, who is really loving the move of God and wants to see the Holy Spirit move in mm. his own life mm. and the life of the congregation the way you do, man. I just love it. Well, I, I've been called a Presbycostal <laughs> and a Baptitarian. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, First Pres is, uh, is uh, we are not the frozen chosen. So uh, that's right. That, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And you know what we were talking about, and I want to jump right back in to pick that up, the importance of gathering together regardless of your denominational background or upbringing, regardless of what you ex have experienced personally in mm -hmm. your life. And we all know, David, that there are people with church hurts out there. Mm -hmm. There are people who got burned because of one reason or another. And sometimes it can just, it can lead to what you were talking about, mm -hmm. a sense of comfort to where we kind of throw off maybe even what used to be a conviction mm -hmm. to go and be a part of a church service, to be mm -hmm. part of a church congregation. Mm -hmm. We can use things that's happened in our life. COVID was one of them. Mm -hmm. And they develop this comfort level of just kind of not, including that in our lives anymore. Mm -hmm. That's a dangerous thing. It is. And I, uh, you know, in, in our church over the summer, we've been doing a, a weekly study in the book of Leviticus. And you might say, well, wow, Swanson, were you trying to kill attendance? And, um, <laughs> and, and the answer is no. Um, Leviticus is this incredible book that helps us understand the Old Testament sacrificial system of substitutionary atonement that is foreshadowing and pointing us constantly to the cross of Christ yeah. and to the shedding of the blood of Christ as the atonement for our sin. And what happens in Leviticus is you see God initiating the sacrificial system and you are to uh, take the lives and specifically the blood of a particular animal as the atonement for your sin. But what happens when your sins have been atoned for God has then made a way for you to be in his presence. And what do we find all throughout Scripture when someone finds themselves in the presence of God? They fall down and they yeah. worship. And so there's this marvelous moment in Leviticus 4 where he inaugurates the, the sacrificial system and then the people gather and worship and they bring the grain offering and the praise offering and the fellowship offering and they sit down around tables that foreshadows the Lord's Supper. And then at the end of the service, the power of God 
comes down in fire and consumes the sacrifice and the people are lit up at the power of God and the wonder of God and they realize by being in worship, God by his grace has enabled us to be in his presence. Look at this. Yeah. And so they experience something by coming together and worship in the presence of God that they never would have experienced had they chosen to stay home. Yeah. And I think that that's what happens in, in worship every Sunday is we recognize that worship first is God's gift of grace to us. Yeah. That he has innate, he's, he's found, he's, he's created the way for us to be reconciled to the father in Christ. And when we, when we really understand that, and that's why I love Leviticus because it makes that so clear that when I find myself in the presence of God, that he's made a way for me, then what's my natural response? The blood of Christ enables worship. And in worship is when we see God come down and do incredible, amazing things like that Mm -hmm. cup of rice offering. Um, And we've had, in the last year, we've had several experiences in a worship service where I have stopped and I've said, hey, you know, if you're wor- if you're worshiping with us online, I'm so glad um, that you're with us. But if if you're online and you're online simply because it's more convenient to you, and you've got a cup of cu- cup of coffee, you're in your jammies, or you have a tea time in an hour, um, I just want you to know that what what just happened, the spirit is alive in this room right yeah. now in a yeah. way that you can't really understand yeah. or know. And so I just want to encourage you to be here in person. And I think that's that's what we've been talking about is the way in which the blood of Christ enables us to be in the presence of God, which always then creates worship. You know, you were talking earlier about what happens when people learn the joy of being generous and mm-hmm. giving. There is also a joy, I believe, that comes from being in the people within the people of God, within the presence of people worshiping God in a public way at a church service that is not going to be experienced any way else. Well, and and that's the longing of the human heart. This is another thing that we're talking about in our discipleship ministry at at First Pres is I think in in all of us, there's that yearning to belong. Yeah. Uh, We want to be a part of something. And so we, we talk about three areas of belonging. Number one, we belong to God. And so our relationship with God really matters and how are we nurturing that and feeding that. And then we talk about the fact that we, we belong to one another. Um, you, you go to the New Testament and you look at all the, the one another passages. Mm-hmm. Um, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, um, all those things. And so we, we belong one to another. Well, if, you're, if, you're never, if you never put yourself in community, if you're never physically with other people, then you're going to miss one of the most important areas of belonging. We're, we're, we're hardwired as relational human beings, as God is interrelated within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. We have been made in his image. We've been made for relationship. Um, and then the third uh, is that we, we belong to a place, uh, and that's, that means physical space. So we belong in the community of Central Florida, and this is a place that we need, you know, Jeremiah 29 you know, uh, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you find yourself yeah. and pray for it, for as it prospers, you will prosper. And so we are we are cognizant of how we belong physically in this area. So what am I doing to build relationships outside of the church? What am I doing to serve the community? Yeah. And, and all that creates and meets the need that we have 
for belonging. But if we're not fulfilling that second thing, if we're not in the presence of others, and you know, and I think people are wise enough to know that this whole false notion that you're friends with people on social media. I have X number of friends on Facebook. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You know, those you're, those are not your friends. That's not yeah. friendship yeah. in the in the biblical sense of the word. That's not true community. So if, if you're depending on your Facebook friends to meet the need you have to belong and to be a part of a nurturing, supportive community, it's never going to meet that. So you got to get out of your house and off your screen and into actual personal relationship. And that's exactly, I believe, the will of God for every one of us that we need to do. And it's so easy to get caught up. I saw a medical report about how many people are actually dehydrated and they don't know they are. Interesting. They live their lives in shortage of water. And yet, spiritually speaking, I think the same thing is happening all around us all the time. We are, we are more thirsty than we realize. And here's what happens to a person that suddenly starts drinking the amount of water they need. They find out they need more than they thought they need. And they, they, they start drinking more. Mm, mm. And that's happened to me before. I, I'm one that I love coffee, but man does not live by coffee alone. My no, friend. But yeah, coffee makes you thirsty. <laughs> it, it well, does. it's interesting you bring that up because thirst, you know, I've done a lot of study on that word and, and our, our physiological responses to thirst. When a person becomes thirsty to a certain point, they become willing to drink anything. They'll drink salt water. They'll, you know, people have, wow, yeah. have, have tried to drink the the fluid in their radiator when their car breaks down in the desert and they become so thirsty. I'll drink anything. And I, that's what I see in our culture. People are so thirsty to belong, to find a place where they're loved unconditionally. They don't belong to God. They don't belong in community. It's all disconnected. And the communities they do have are so conditional on what they think and what they say. And if they think the wrong thing or say the wrong thing, they get kicked out. Mm-hmm. And so now they're drinking from anything uh, because of the level of their thirst. And that's where I think the church has a great opportunity um, to provide living water and to be um, um, to be winsome in how we're communicating that and offering it. I think of the Lord's invitation to come unto me, Mm. all Mm. who are weary. And we could even add add to that concept, all who are in need of a drink of the water of God. I mean, he will give us that kind of rest. That's right. That's right. He will do it. Now, David, I mentioned earlier that you are one of the people that I look to and I respect with understanding the times. You know, we, we read in the Old Testament, there were the sons of Issachar and they understood the times and they knew what to do. And there are a lot of uh, needs that this country has right now that we might not have uh, maybe experienced before, but mm-hmm. we're experiencing them now. A lot of shortages a lo- and a lot of lack of knowledge, a lack of wisdom. Uh, there are governmental things that are going on today that would probably cause our grandparents to roll over in their graves mm-hmm. if they knew what was going on in this country today. Uh, what is the right amount? What should pastors who are uh, listening to this today that might be wrestling with this this thing about involvement in the in the life in the fabric, let's say even using uh, things uh, that are talked about in the public today and including those in their messages. Right. What's the right amount? What's the wrong amount? Mm. Where, what's your starting place for yeah. that? I always go back to Martin Luther, and he said, if, uh, uh, if you're faithful in all things, uh, but you fail at the point of attack, then you failed utterly. And um, 
And what he meant by that was, you know, I, I can talk about, boy, we need to feed the hungry and we need to take care of world missions and we need to be about the extension of the gospel and we need to be raising, you know, uh, biblical families. And I can talk about all those things. But if the thing that's hammering the culture and it's if there's the thing that is uh, causing uh, people uh, to suffer in ways that maybe they don't even understand, uh, if we don't ever say anything about that, then then we have not been faithful to the gospel. Yeah. And so I'm I'm always trying to see what's the tip of the spear. You know what what is the point of attack uh, on the church from the culture? Where are we abdicating our responsibility? And and I want to say um, I want to be sensitive. You know to some pastors who may be listening that uh, you know when you start talking about controversial things. Um, I know if you're a young pastor, maybe you've been in a church for two or three years, and if you start being controversial, um, there is risk to that because you're new congregation that doesn't know you well and you haven't really established your pastoral role in their lives. Um, they may get angry. They may not come. They may not give. Uh, they may think, gosh, you know, this guy is not who we thought he was. And and I I certainly faced some of that in, in the in the churches that I have served. So I understand why some pastors might be reticent to talk about these critical social issues and to, you know, I never, you know, from the pulpit, I am always, I I believe biblical worship means that the focus is always on God, that we are always lifting up the, uh, the name, uh, the glory, the wonder, the majesty of God. He is the focus. He's the priority. So I, I may not talk about these things in my preaching, but that doesn't mean that there aren't areas in the churches of life where I'm going to address mm-hmm. larger social issues. And so, um, I have the I have the luxury uh, of having been at First Press for 19 years, mm-hmm. and I have uh, security in my position. Uh, it's a congregation that has loved me well, as I have tried to love them. So I'm not I'm not worried that I'm going to lose my job. I'm not worried that people are going to leave. I'm not worried that, gosh, giving is going to go down if I say something um, that is uh, that may be socially controversial. And so that's where I feel like First Pres, um, as a downtown church, has the opportunity to be a leader on some social issues in a time when other churches may not feel that same boldness. And it's and I understand why. I, I get that. Um, but we um, have gotten to a place where we just feel like the whole uh, issue of gender and sexuality and the church has become so divisive and so confusing. And we took our elders, uh, we do an annual elder retreat. We went away this past January, um, January 23. We went down to the Dominican Republic. We did a mission trip down there, and then we would have conversations in the afternoons. And we just realized as we got into God's word and we were being led by uh, a wonderful professor at Reform Seminary, uh, Greg Lanier, we came out of that retreat believing that um, this area, this this social confusion around gender and sexuality, that the church needed to get ahead of it. And what we weren't hearing a lot of churches saying anything about it at all. And I think because of that, every day I was getting questions. You know, what do you say to your coworker? What what do you say when Cummins says, "Well, my you know my daughter is same sex attracted," or you know my my son now he's twenty one he he thinks he's a uh, he thinks he's a woman. Um, those things are incredibly real. Yeah, and they're happening every day. Yeah, they're happening, and it's 
being pushed down and you know the thing the the phrase that i heard that comes to me is that we're not only being asked by even our government to accept it we're asked to celebrate it and what we're being asked to celebrate is something that is uh, inherently against the word of god mm. and actually mm. spoken against by mm-hmm. God in his word. Right. So th- I I believe like what you're doing is exactly right. You've got to get ahead of what's going on if the mm-hmm. church is not going to be involved. And there's a lot of people who are openly criticizing pastors and churches right now for not saying enough, not not mm-hmm. speaking it, not getting ahead of it, not preparing their congregation. I think what you're saying is, is that the church and pastors need to realize that this is an affront against people in their congregation. And Mm. if it gets that kind of personal, Mm. then there might be some changes. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think there are, uh, there are two things that we have, um, kind of landed on, or I have, as I've prepared these, uh, these, uh, teachings that we're going to have on Wednesday nights, um, this fall. Um, you know, there is in the scripture there, you know, we need to always look at what, what does the Bible say? When you look at what's happening culturally, go, what does the Bible say about that? Mm-hmm. And so we need to study that and we need to understand that very clearly. And I think the Bible, thankfully, does speak extraordinarily clearly on these issues. But then there's the question of, here's what the Bible says, well, but then how do I apply it? And, and that's where the church, I think, needs to be um, winsome, compassionate, uh, loving in how we share the truth. It can't just be, it, it, it's always you share the truth in love. Yeah. Um, if it's just truth, but there's no love, that's arrogance. Uh, you're just trying to be right and telling someone else mm-hmm. that they're wrong, and there's no humility in that. You've decided you've got all the answers, and you are arrogantly pushing that forward. If it's love, but there's no truth, well, then that's untethered uncompromise. I mean, untethered compromise. And, um, and that's not going to find us right. to the place of transformation. So I think someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction or with gender dysphoria, what they're experiencing is either hate or affirmation. Mm-hmm. And in the church, we realize that neither, neither one of those is an option. I, I cannot hate. And, and I want us, as the church needs to hear that. And one of the things I'm going to call our church to is repentance. I think we have been too quick um, to rigidly denounce and to hate people who are struggling in this area of sin. I'm up against a break, so let's continue this on the other side. This is so good. I want to hear the other aspect that we've got to do as the church, as people on this subject. David Swanson is my guest from First Pres, downtown Orlando. I'll be right back. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. David Swanson from First Pres. Dr. David Swanson is my guest today. And we're talking at the uh, end of this last uh, segment about the uh, scenario that we're all hearing about. I mean, there's no one, uh, if you've listened to the news at all, there's no one that's not heard about this issue of transgender. There's uh, an all out, I believe, 
an attempt to make this the most pressing issue that is in the world today. And it's not just in the United States. This is global mm. that's been going on. And the result is a heartbreaking level of confusion. And uh, I, I believe that when we're being asked to have drag queen story hours and and the transgendered acceptance, it, mm-hmm. it again is not what we're called to accept in the word of God as being normal and right in the way that he planned for us to live. So we've got to come down and you're explaining some of the things mm-hmm. that you've come to in your own church to prepare them. And so I'd like for you to just continue on on this yeah. issue because there are, there are things that we've got to see and, and list those things that we just need to know. Yeah, I I think um, like in my household, just for example, this is these issues are coming before us at younger and younger ages. Our children are being exposed far earlier yeah. to just notions of sexuality in general. And so I remember I, I had the birds and the bees talk with my oldest child, my oldest son, um, far earlier, far sooner than I had planned to, because he came home asking me questions about things that he had heard in his private Christian school. So if you think yeah. your kids aren't being challenged with this in their Christian school, you're wrong. You're wrong. That's right. Uh, they are. And so in the same way uh, the, you know, that I'm talking about this, the church needs to get ahead of it. I, I, as a father, I wanted my son to hear from me first about how I understood the gift of sexuality and how God had created it so that when he heard counterfeit things, he'd be able to understand it through a biblical lens. And that was true for, for all of our, our three children. So in this sense, that's why we felt called at First Prez to do this eight-week series, because I think the church needs to get ahead of this so that we can begin to teach and share. Here is how we're to understand the gift of our sexuality, our maleness and our femaleness in the divine design of God. And it's it's this beautiful, glorious, glorious thing. And I, so I think when when we are uh, understanding that, then we're going to understand, you know, if you think about what, what do we choose to protect in life? We protect the things that we value the most. So in Genesis, God is our, our gracious, loving creator, creates us as men and women. Then he creates covenant marriage. And he says in the context of this covenant relationship, that's where physical union, the gift of our, of our sexuality is to be experienced between a husband and a wife. That's the context for this gift. And I'm giving it to you. Why? So you can understand part of who I am as I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, intimately related within myself. I want you to have a taste of that intimacy. And then in Christ, we begin to see that in marriage, as husbands and wives love each other sacrificially, marriage is actually bearing witness to the way in which God has loved us sacrificially. So marriage and physical union, our sexuality is not just for us and not just for our pleasure, but first it is to bear witness to the nature and character of God. It's beautiful and wonderful, and therefore God values it, so he chooses to protect it. Yes, We protect what we value. So again, back to Leviticus. The whole 18th chapter is all the protections that God puts around sexuality, and he says, don't do this. It sounds all like prohibitions, and they are. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Someone just picks up that book. They're going to be, wow, God is so negative. Well, you didn't, you didn't read Genesis yeah, first. So right. You got to read the whole thing. Yeah, you got yeah. to understand the gift. And when you understand the gift, you understand that it's, yeah. it's protected. So 
that's the beauty. When you understand what the gift is, then you understand why we are to be experiencing it in a particular way and why any disordering of our physical affections actually diminishes uh, how we understand God in culture and community. So back to what I was talking about earlier, if, if I can, do you mm-hmm. want to? Okay. Absolutely. Man. Um, so, you know, shifting to kind of the, the other side of this, so to speak, and I don't like to uh, talk in those kinds of words because that means we're, we're opposed to each other. And I don't believe we are. We're part of a common humanity. We all struggle um, with our sinful, broken nature, but a person who's same sex attracted, a person who is having a gender dysphoria, they're going to experience one of two things. And that's either hatred or affirmation. And neither one of those is uh, is available to a Christian disciple, to a follower of Jesus. We're not allowed to hate them. Why? Because of the Imago Dei. Because every person is stamped with the image of God and is yeah. therefore worthy of being treated with love and dignity and respect. Right. So we can't hate them, but at the same time, we can't affirm them because of what God has said. So there always has to be this ongoing attention between those two things, and it's sharing the truth in love and sharing love and truth, and those things are always held together. So yes, there's what the Bible says, that's truth, but then there's the question of how do we apply it, and and that's really the question of how are we loving. And and one of the areas that I think that um, we're going to get to early in this series, and just for those who uh, may have interest, it's going to be uh, September 13th to November 1st, every Wednesday night at 630 uh, but you do have to register, uh, and that's available on our website, fpco.org. But but let me say this. You know, when I first decided we were going to do this, I thought maybe we'd have 150, 200 people. We're still a, a month away, and we have over 400 people registered. That's amazing. And, and we've sold out. The, we're, we're serving dinner at, at uh, 530, and those are sold out. And yeah. so, yeah. obviously— this is where people are struggling. Yeah, it's and, a hot button. Yeah, and they they want to come. So I really want the church to look at the whole idea of repentance. Mm-hmm. That um, because what what people assume is and what and the posture that the church is somehow has sometimes taken is to kind of point a finger at oh those those gay people those transgendered people they're they're kind of so bad when what Leviticus tells us in chapter uh, seventeen is that that we all have disordered affections. So let's be real clear that it's not just people who are same-sex attracted. It's not people who have gender dysphoria. But you and I, um, every single person have disordered affections. We have the the bent of sin in our hearts. So disordered uh, a disordered sexuality can, can come about as someone who's same-sex attracted, but in the same way, it's someone who has an extramarital affair. Mm-hmm. In the same way, it's someone who gets divorced without biblical reasons. It's pornography. It's lust. And that's where I think the Christian church has shot herself in the foot in not bearing faithful witness in her own heterosexuality and assuming, well, I'm better than, quote, unquote, these yeah. people because, well, I don't, I, I don't act like that. Oh, yeah, you do. You just have disordered affections in a different way mm-hmm. that doesn't make you less sinful. And so together we need to be repenting of the ways in which, I mean, you, you think of the number, and I know this just um, bothers people when I say it, the number of people who live together today before they get married. That is a that is a disordered 
uh, sexuality. That is doing with your body what you haven't done in your heart. So it's the idea that you make covenant commitment to each other as husband and wife, as God has made promises Mm -hmm. to us in the same way you do that. And then you unite physically. So, and, and when you, when you live with somebody, you are, you're, it's essentially an audition, not a commitment. You're you're, every day you're living with the pressure of thinking, am am I doing what this other person wants? Am I going to measure up? Are they going to keep loving me? And then you're looking at the other person going, Hmm, are they good enough? Are they going to make me happy? And, and it's just an, an extended audition. So what happens? There's a reason why you are 14% more likely to get divorced uh, if you live with someone before you get married than if you just get married. Right. Um, because you've got the woundedness that comes from constantly being evaluated. Are you good enough? Are you going to love me forever? Are you going to make mistakes? Are you going to make me happy? And so it's, it's no wonder we're in the absence of our relationship with God, we put so much pressure on our, on our partner, this person, to make us happy and to fulfill our our needs. And that's, that's not possible Mm -hmm. for a human being. So we're going to be looking at all those questions. Man, that sounds like that is going to be amazing. And again, it's on Wednesday nights and it starts in September, September 13th. And and people can still register. They can, although they can't do the meals now, but they can get there for the meetings. Yep. So you go to fpco.org. And uh, there'll be a link to registration, and uh, and yeah, you can sign up, but you you have to you have to register. Boy, this is so great. Our our time is flying by here, David. Uh, real quick, if you could look at the upcoming year, twenty twenty four, it's going to be a big year. It's obviously an mm-hmm. election year for uh, the the top uh, government position mm-hmm. here in the United States, and things have never been more volatile, perhaps in our lifetime, or at least in the last 30 years, Mm -hmm. than what they are right now. What do you see happening with believers? What should be our attitude? What should be our action points? You know, I I think that we're going to see a lot of what we saw in 2020. I think we're going to continue to see um, a lot of polarization, uh, a lot of tribalism where people divide themselves into camps based on politics, based on social views, social ideas, which again, when it comes to the, this whole idea of belonging, um, that is a conditional belonging. When you identify yourself by tribe, by social issue, then if you say the wrong thing or if your views change, you get kicked out. It's not true community. So what I think and what I pray will happen is as this unfolds again, I, I am praying that people are going to come to a realization that I can't put my hope Uh, my hope for the future, my hope for my income, my hope for my children. I can't put that in politics and elections and social change. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to put that in something far larger and greater. And that is, you know, I need to explore uh, what I believe to be true about God. Boy, what a difference that would make, huh? It would. I mean, that would transform and change our entire culture. But I think it does create a wonderful opportunity in the church's life. And I think we have... Um, in all of the the discord and the polarization, I think our church, uh, the church, has the opportunity to offer something that is different. We are not, we, we have uh, uh, the hope of being residents of a different kingdom that doesn't operate according to the same standards as the world. And so we can speak biblical truth, um, we can invite people into community, and I think people are going to be more and more hungry for that. I, I, again, I'd, I'd love to sit here and say, oh my gosh, I think our, our culture is going to just turn around on a dime and it's all going to be different. 
Um, I don't see that happening. I think what's happening in gender and sexuality is going to continue to advance and change. I think the social contracts are going to be more and more forced on the church in the future. And now what we believe is biblical truth is being challenged in some corners as hate speech. And so how that unfolds in 2024, I think there are going to be some legal challenges to that. Um, that could have a, a rather chilling effect on pastors and on mm-hmm. the church. And so I, I don't have any idea, obviously, what will happen there. I, I don't have a crystal ball. But I do think there, again, is great opportunity. And what do we know from history? Whenever the church has been attacked, what happens? She grows. Uh, she flourishes. And so uh, in that sense, I think we need to be uh, girded up and ready and be prayerful. And we put on the full armor of God and we go out and we need to play offense, not just defense. Mm-hmm. Well, you've mentioned it well. You've said it and you kind of uh, kind of wrapped it all up in this whole thing about the church needs to get ahead and get in front of what's going on. And right. that's what we as believers need to do. We need to not be fearful mm. because of our trust in God. And, you know, just like you saw going back to what we talked about early on about the cup of rice and you mentioned it and it was a God thing. There is a God thing that can happen in the middle of all of this, and we just don't see Amen. it. Amen. Amen, brother. And I, you know, I, I think sometimes people get discouraged to the end. Uh, you know, my, my time in the Word this morning was in Joel chapter 2, and God pronounces his judgment, but then he comes and he says, but oh, there's, don't be afraid. There, mm-hmm. There's going to be a day when the, the August rains and the spring rains will come, That's and good. the grasses will turn green once more. And, and then he says, you know, and after that, the spirit will be poured out and your young men will dream dreams mm. and your old men will see visions. I want to encourage people um, to continue to hope and not be afraid to dream big dreams. That's beautiful. And to envision what the kingdom of God on earth could be. Uh, and because of we stop dreaming because we're afraid that we're just going to get knocked back down again. Yeah. Keep dreaming. Keep believing in the presence of the spirit of God. A rich time, my friend. Thank you for being with me today. And oh, uh, this, uh, this hour is just uh, melted away, but I so appreciate you. Thank God for you. Give us the website one more time for First Pass. Uh, fpco.org. And I uh, would love to uh, have any and all people come, especially families. That's it. Dr. David Swanson, my friend, thank you for being here yet again. Can't wait till the next time now. Absolutely. And we'll see you, friends, next time as well, right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music>